0: Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity to worship and to to fellowship with you and to exalt you. And I pray, Father, that now as we enter into a time of study of your word, that we will continue to do just that, that we will fellowship with you through the study of, of your words to us found in your Bible. And Father, I just pray that we will exalt you through the conclusions that we come to and through our response to your leading. So please bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I almost forgot. <laughs> I was sitting there praying and realized I was supposed to be up on stage, so that was close. <laughs> I was thinking of a story that I'll actually share with you. I was sitting there with my Bible, and I have a story about this Bible, this actual Bible right here, and how much trouble it actually has gotten me into, but we'll get to that in a minute. You know, all of us are here today. In this room, January 18th, 2015, did I get that right? hope so. Because of faithful men and women of our past. That took the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28 seriously. Most of us can probably identify people from our lives that have had influence on us that led us to a place where we made a decision for Jesus Christ or maybe if we haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, at least led to us making a decision to be here this morning in this building. But it was more than just those people, more than just the people that had an influence on us personally, for throughout the years, from the moment that Jesus said the words found in Matthew chapter 28, right up till this moment, week after week, year after year, Generation after generation, there have been faithful people passing on the love and the message of Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. These people, since Jesus existed, have been carrying out that great commission. And so that's why Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 uh, are, are so important, in 18, are so important to us as a church and hopefully should be important to you as a believer. In Matthew 28:19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. At Southside, at this church, we need to be committed To this verse, to this same mission, the same mission that has been faithful carried out for years and years and years. We must have the same purpose of carrying forward forward, the torch of God's love for other people. So that's why we as a church have adopted a statement of why we exist that emphasizes this. And last week we talked about that statement, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more today. That statement is... That we exist to glorify God by making and maturing biblical disciples. Okay, I'm going to say that again. We exist to glorify God by making and maturing biblical disciples. Today we're going to unpack this a little further. Last week we dealt with the glorifying God part and what it means to glorify God. To, to lift Him up, to, to be obedient to Him. And so this week we're going to look at what it, may, it means to make Disciples. So to answer that question, what does it mean to make disciples? It's probably important for us to understand what a disciple really is. right? We use that word a lot in church, but we don't use it a lot out in the world. And so it can become kind of a, a part of our Christian language. But a lot of people haven't been in the church for years and years and years. A lot of people are new to uh, God's love. And so we use this term like they're familiar with what we're speaking about and maybe even those of us who have been in the church for a long time don't truly understand what it means to be a disciple. So what is a disciple? If we're going to make disciples, we need to understand what a disciple is. So here we go. Well, in the Bible, a disciple was a follower of somebody. They were were somebody who studied underneath uh, another person, a, a learner, a pupil, a student, an adherent to a particular teacher or philosophy, maybe a religious philosophy. They were disciples of, of uh, just regular philosophers of the world, Greek philosophers. Uh, a disciple's job was to learn, to study, and then eventually pass on the teachings of their master. So let's think about that in regards to us. A disciple, is, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, it means that we are someone who learns, And then we pass on, we study, and then we pass on the message of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at actually four attributes of what a disciple is. (coughs) In the the Bible, there are lots of descriptions of the disciples. Maybe it doesn't say a disciple is, and then list it off, right? But it gives us lots of examples of what disciples did. And from that, we can get a better idea of what a disciple is. So here we go. We have four attributes this morning. Of what it means to be a disciple. Here's the first one: a disciple is somebody who learns. I already just mentioned that, but we need to state it again. A disciple is someone who learns. In Proverbs 18:5, it says, "The heart of discerning acquire." The, excuse me, I'll start that one over. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. For the ears, of the wise seek it out. Okay, the heart of the discerning acquire knowledge. So it's saying that the person who wants to learn or wants to know things has to, has to learn, right? If we want to know Jesus, we have to learn. <clears throat> and an attribute of someone who's wise is that they seek out knowledge. Okay? They seek out knowledge. So are you someone that is still learning? You know, we have uh, people in this room who have been Christians for a very long time. Very long time. And I'm not that old, but I came to know Jesus at a fairly young age. And so I'm without excuse. I've been a Christian myself for 28 years. That's a long time. Uh, But I haven't learned it all. I have a lot left to learn. There's a lot more in this book right here that I don't know. And so are we learners? You might remember that last week we talked about when we glorify God, we see that humility is a way to accomplish that right humility is a way to accomplish the task of glorifying god well learning is an act of humility it's acknowledging that you don't know everything uh hopefully all of us have this attitude uh, i know that over the years as i've studied uh, god's word on my own and and in college and in seminary uh, i've come to the understanding of how much i don't know and that's one of the the skills or the maybe the attitudes that i think was most helpful as I learned more and more and more in my studies, I learned that there's less and less I actually know. That's kind of an interesting concept, I know. But when you realize the vastness of God and his creation and the, 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 the attributes of God and the, the things that he's done for us, there's always more to learn, no matter how much we know. So a disciple is somebody who learns. I mean, that's why we're here this morning. That's why we have this built into our service. When we gather together as a family, we don't simply worship through singing. We don't just worship at the table, but we also gather to learn from God's Word. (coughs) Excuse me. A disciple is someone who learns. Are you learning? Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? If not, then I challenge you are you a real disciple? Are you really a disciple? You may say you're a Christian, you may have taken his name, but what are you doing to learn more about the very one whose name you've taken? A disciple is someone who learns. Second one, a disciple is someone who worships. Someone who worships. Uh, In John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, we find a story of Jesus, and he's uh, traveling through the the, uh, area called Samaria, Samaria. And he's thirsty, and he stops at a well to get a drink and there's a lady there and he has an interaction with her she's uh unmarried but has had lots of husbands and she's living with a man and and samaritans uh um, they have a very bad reputation with the jews to put it mildly uh the jews hated the samaritans uh they were kind of half jew half uh, worldly, other philosophies of the world, and so the Jews looked down on them, and yet Jesus is having a conversation with this lady, and he says this to her in verse 23 and 24. But the hour is coming, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Okay, right there it says God is seeking people to worship him, but specific type of people, People that will worship him in spirit, in, in desire, inside them, but also in truth. Remember when I said earlier that a disciple is someone who learns, who seeks after truth? Well, this is it here. A worshiper is the same thing. It says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay? A disciple is someone who worships God. God. You know, in, in in the Bible, we see over and over the people of God praising him. And so again, like I said earlier, we built into our service an opportunity for us to learn, and we build into our service an opportunity to worship. In glorifying God, in being humble, worship is another act of humility. It's saying that God is more and I am less. And we love that philosophy as leaders in that we must become less so that, what? That's what John the Baptist said. What did he, how did he finish this? I must become less so that he may become more. Okay, a worshiper is someone who's humble enough to admit that I'm not the extent of this world. I'm not the greatest thing in this world. Right? It's about Jesus. It's about lifting him up. It's about exalting him through our worship. So a disciple is someone who worships. Third one, a disciple is somebody who serves, somebody who serves. In John chapter 13, we read this a few months back when we went through the upper room discourse. Jesus starts off his evening with this act of he washes the disciples' feet. In John 13, verses 12 through 15, hopefully this sounds familiar. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. So Jesus sets the example. He says, if you want to be a follower, if you want to be one of my disciples, then what do you do? You mimic what I just did for you. You humble yourself, you get down and you wash some feet. You're not too good to wash somebody's feet. That's the attitude. Jesus himself, we read it last week, he did not come to be served, but to serve. So a disciple is somebody who serves. Last one this morning. A disciple is someone who tells others about Jesus. Just a little bit ago, I said that a disciple is someone who studies under a master's teaching, who learns and then is able to turn around and tell others about what that master taught. And that's the concept that I'm looking at here. A disciple is someone who tells others about Jesus. In John verse 20, verse 21, I have a few verses here for you. I love these verses. I was going to just do one, but then there were so many of them that were appropriate. I have to read them all. John 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Why did God send Jesus to this earth? To show God's love for everybody through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And he's saying, just as God sent me to share my love with everybody, I'm sending now, sending you. Okay, So a disciple is someone who shares that love with others. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The job of a disciple was to take this message and to move it forward and proclaim it to the nations. And thankfully, people took this verse seriously, just like Matthew 28. Right? They took it seriously, and people for generations have been proclaiming to the nations that Christ would suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sin, sins are offered to all nations. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and through 15. <clears throat> A disciple is someone who shares the love of Jesus. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Your feet are beautiful, right? If you're out there telling people about the love of Jesus. A disciple tells others about Jesus. So how do we make disciples? You know, I want to be very clear about one thing. When we say that we are responsible to make disciples... We're not saying that we are responsible to save other people, right? It's not our responsibility to save people. It's our responsibility to make disciples. Why do I say that? Because it's not our job to save anybody. Whose job is that? It's God's job to save people. We present the teachings of the master. We tell them about his love. We help bring them into a disciple-type relationship, and he saves them. That would be usurping the position of God himself. But Jesus, in Matthew 28, says that he has all the authority, and he's giving us a job to make disciples. It's his authority, and His it's his right to give to us, his disciples, to make more disciples. So sometimes, even in our discussion on staff, when we talked about Well, do we really make disciples? Yes, we do. That's what Jesus told us to do. Go make disciples. It's in the Bible. If there's an argument against making disciples in that wordage, argue with Jesus. Okay? But we're not saying save. We're not saying our job is to save. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to present. My responsibility is to teach. And God will do the saving. And thankfully, that's whose job it is because he'll do it way better than I ever could. <clears throat> so, how do we make disciples? How do we evangelize? How do we tell others about Jesus? Well, I have two ways this morning. Two ways that we can have an impact on this world, on this nation, on this community, for Jesus. And it doesn't involve going out on the street corner and telling anybody about Jesus. Okay, I'll tell you my story about this Bible right here. Okay, how it almost got me in trouble. This Bible right here. I got this Bible when I was a... I think sophomore in Bible college. I worked at a Christian bookstore. I saved up my money, and uh, I got a nice little discount. But I wanted it for preaching because it's nice and thin, and uh, I got my name put on it. I actually imprinted that. I learned how to do that. I put my name on it in gold foil right there, made it very special. It was my first Bible with my own name on it. And right after I got this, I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma for a convention, a missionaries convention. And I was walking down the street of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And a gentleman came up to me, and he asked me if I had any money for food. I was a poor college student. I had very little money. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with no access to my bank account back in Boise. And so I was on limited funds, and I said, you know what, man, I'm sorry. I don't have any food. But let me tell you about Jesus. And so I stood there on the corner of the street, and I preached to him about Jesus. And I taught, and I pleaded, and I prayed with him. And he, at the end of it, he wouldn't he wouldn't accept Jesus he just he, he wanted to but he wouldn't and so he asked me for my bible if i'd give him my bible did i give him my bible yeah preaching from the corner isn't the way that Jesus asked us to share god's love you know, In their culture, in their day, it was common for people to gather before the, state, the, the steps of the temple and for people to reason together and to debate and to, to teach and to argue and to preach. And that was common for them. It was acceptable. It was the way that they communicated at the city gates and at the temple steps and inside uh, uh, the synagogues. That was That was acceptable. Okay, God doesn't say to us that we are responsible to go out and stand on the corner and shout people down or to beat the Bible over their heads. You know, in the book of Acts, it gives us a very clear way that we can win disciples, that we can make disciples, that we can lead people to the point of salvation. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it tells them what the early church did. They praised God and enjoyed favor of all people. That's what they did. And you see what they did? What happened? The rest of the verse. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being what? Saved. Hmm. See, we take, at least I have taken courses on personal evangelism. And I have read books about going out and sharing my faith and proclaiming my faith to those around me. But what did the New Testament church do? They put their attention into being devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to praying for each other, to meeting together as the church, not at the church. Right? By... Taking care of each other's needs. And who did the evangelism? God did the evangelism. God's the one who brought the people. The Lord added to their number daily. Those who are being saved. So when you think about it, this passage takes a lot of pressure off from witnessing and sharing our faith and this idea of us having to go out there to complete strangers on the street corner and use our Bible and open it up to just the right verse and say, This is what you have to do. You need to do this or you're going to hell. That's not what they did. That's not how the early church practiced it. They devoted themselves to this. They devoted themselves to opening it up and sharing it with each other. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found food. Have you ever heard that quote before? One beggar telling another beggar where he found food. It's not that we, I don't, I'm discouraging you from telling others about Jesus. Not at all. But I'll tell you what's going to happen if we as a church devote ourselves to these things found in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, if we focus on those things and being committed to glorifying God and partaking together of this, learning from this, and exalting Him, you know what's going to happen? People are going to notice a difference in your life, in my life. And you're going to have people who come up to you and they're going to say, what's different? I, I, I need what you have. You went through a difficult situation, and you handled it with grace and strength, and I've never seen anybody do that before. What's going on? I can tell you there's, there's, a, there's two gentlemen in our church that are very good friends. You probably have heard their names, Joe Foss and Kelly Blodgett. They're very active in our men's ministry. And I can tell you what, Kelly didn't come to know the Lord. He didn't come to Southside because Joe... Bashed him over the head with the Bible, or stood up at work and proclaimed God's love to everybody who could walk past the break room. And that's because Joe lived it out, and Kelly could see it in his life. And so Kelly wanted what Joe had. That's evangelism. Okay, that's living out these things, and that's God adding to the number of who was being saved. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, By this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I'm going to challenge the church's broad idea of what evangelism really is. It is telling people about Jesus. I'm not denying that part of it. But it's going about it in a way that builds a relationship first and then earns the right to be heard in somebody else's life. That man in Tulsa, Oklahoma didn't know me. He had no respect for me. I was going to leave and never see him again. And I wasn't even willing to give up my Bible with my gold name on the front. Right? That's not the way you win someone's heart. Okay, that's not the way we make disciples. We have a responsibility to live it out. And our life will be the testimony that brings others into a relationship with Jesus. Here's another one. We, we make disciples By training up the next generation. Okay? You know, I'm here speaking to you this morning. Again, just like I started off the message, all of us are here because of faithful men and women. I'm here in this pulpit this morning because of faithful obedience to this mission by some of the people who actually are in church here today. Okay, I grew up in a little church, no longer exists, McDowell Creek Church of Christ, out on McDowell Creek. And, uh, Berlin Road on the corner there. It's burned down. It doesn't exist in any shape, way, shape, or form, but it exists in the life of those people who faithfully served and attended worship and lived out the life of the church. And it's here this morning in the, on their impact on me. So if you see Jim Cripe this morning or you see this evening Chris McDaniels or, or Nikki Sandberg, some of the people who have influenced me, I'm here because they took seriously the charge to train up the next generation. There are a few of those people. There have been a lot of those people in my life. In fact, there's another one. I'll t- I love this story. Uh, a few years back, more than a few maybe now, but I had uh, come home from, uh, on Christmas break, uh, to be with my parents over Christmas from Bible college. I lived over in Boise, and I can't remember, I think I was maybe out of Bible college and, and working at uh, Cherry Lane Christian Church with uh, Jamie at that time. <clears throat> but I came home, and uh, I went with my parents, to uh Bymart over in Albany and we were shopping doing a little last minute Christmas gifts and there was a lady behind us in line and I looked back and she looked up and said, "Oh, hi Brian." I don't know who you are. This, I mean, she was like this tall little, little lady and I said, "Hi," and my mom looked around and she goes, "Oh, hi there." And um, it was her name was Mrs. Cole. Mrs. Cole. Um, by golly, I can't remember her name. But Dorothy Cole. And Dorothy Cole was my uh, Sunday school teacher when I was three years old. Okay? Okay? Uh, and believe it or not, she was most likely Don Robertson's Sunday school teacher when he was three years old. I'm not joking. Did you have Mrs. Cole as a Sunday school teacher? No? Nope? Okay. But pretty close, I bet. <laughs> um, she was in her... She's, I think she's still alive. Is she still alive? Okay. She's still alive in her... Uh, maybe 90s by now. Um, Point being, she asked me how I was doing. She asked me how college was going or went. And she asked me how my new position was. I had no idea who this lady was. She taught me when I was three years old. I mean, I remember Mrs. Cole. I mean, I, at that moment, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Mrs. Cole, you know, I, as I look back on my life, I don't remember many of the stories that she taught me. Don't remember any stories she taught me. Okay. Uh, But I do remember a few things. I remember that every week that she would take us on a walk around the church. And we had this little rope with little loops in in it, and we would all hold on, and she'd take us around the church. I remember that each week she served these little pink and white animal crackers. And I loved those, right? I still love those. And I remember that uh, every week when I'd come in the classroom, Mrs. Cole would give me a hug. And that's what I remember. And those are amazing memories. If those are the only three memories I have of Mrs. Cole, those are amazing memories. Mrs. Cole was committed, committed to training up kids. She was committed to Proverbs 22.6. that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's our responsibility to look at the generation behind us. And make sure that they become disciples as well. <coughs> Rachel, who we've recently hired to be our director of our children's ministry, has been taking doing a little study of our kids over the last 16 weeks. And this is what she found. 3.7% of our kids attended three times or more per month over the last four months. Did you catch that? 3.7%. Okay, 3.7% attended three or more times per month over the last four months. We've had 81 different kids in our second hour Sunday school class, kindergarten through sixth grade. That's awesome. 81 different kids since the beginning of September. But only three of them have attended 12 times or more in those 16 weeks. Three. If we bump it up to 10 times out of 16, we have five out of 81 that have attended 10 out of 16 weeks. Okay. Now, I'm not up here this morning to say those statistics to try to bash anybody. I'm not here to lecture anybody about church attendance. But I will say this. If we are committed to making disciples through sharing with the people of this community, through the adults and at our work and at our our neighbor's, but we forget to, gen- to, to to witness to the next generation of our own kids, we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. It's a parent's responsibility to train up a child. It is. It, it, it's the parent's job. They should be the primary faith influence. So I'm going to trust that that, that that statistic means that our parents are doing a great job, that they're at home, they're training their kids <coughs> biblically. But we need to do a better job, right? Because if you sent your kids to school 10 out of 16 days a month, you'd be in big trouble, right? Hopefully, the church isn't in big trouble. But let's take it seriously. Training up the next generation is serious. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, from the very beginning of God having his people, he's expected us to train up children. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You should make your home a spiritual fortress that's protected by the very Word of God. Let's not drop the ball. This morning and in this week, as I was preparing this message, and in my heart, for most of the week, was looking at it from a perspective of we have to go out and win souls. There's a community that's dying. There's a community that's going to hell, and what are we doing for them? And that burden's still there. But we have 81 kids that need to know the love of Jesus. And 5% of them are regular in their attendance of our Sunday school class. We need to take this seriously. Our community and our kids need to know the love of Jesus. And when we we, we take the time and we make an effort to reach both of those groups, God will be glorified you agree? Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. You've done so much for me personally. And I will be eternal, eternally grateful. But God, if I just leave it there, I'm leaving it short. Because I have a responsibility to reach out to those who don't know you. Father, if they be three years old or 53 years old, It doesn't matter. They need to know your love. And Father, help us to be a church that is so concerned with sharing your love that we devote ourselves to the right things. And Father, as we devote ourselves to those right things, please add to the number those who will be saved. And Father, we trust that that will be the case. In your name we pray. Amen.